0: midtown detroit studios of wdet this is detroit today
1: what makes us the happiest is it money and attention and success or is it something else something more closely related to the attachments we have to other people our family our friends Our communities. Today, we're going to talk with the authors of a book called The Good Life, which explores an 80 year old study on human happiness and why we let it elude us. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR.
2: Detroit Today is supported by the Michigan School of Psychology and the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History.
1: Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. And I'm really glad you've decided to join. Think back to the times when you were happiest in your life. What were you doing? Were you doing something with friends, getting coffee with a sibling, or maybe on a date with a romantic partner? What's weird about common answers to these questions is that they're typically out of sync with how most of us live our lives. Think about it. How often are you spending time on or at work? How much energy are you exerting toward getting famous or buying a fancy car? Most people go through life, consciously or not, following what other people do. And in America, a lot of our attention is focused on our careers, dating, making money, buying a home, getting married and having kids. But how much of that really includes relationships and specifically friendships? How much of our time is really dedicated to the people who make us the happiest and enable us to feel most important? How much of our lives is about connecting with other people? For many of us, especially those who have a lot of financial success in this country, the answer is pretty plain. It's very little. Attention goes much more toward improving craft, rising in the ranks at work, or buying more things. Oftentimes, the people in our lives fall kind of by the wayside, or worse, They're blamed for getting in the way of everything else. Professor Robert Waldinger and Dr. Mark Schultz recently co authored a book titled The Good Life Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness. And in it, they explore an 80 year old Harvard study that attempts to uncover the answer to the question what makes people flourish? The answer is actually really simple. It's mostly about deep, lasting connections with other people. But this finding leaves us with a lot of other questions, like why do people mostly prioritize work and making a lot of money? Why do we care so much about attention when that's not really what offers us fulfillment? And why are we so bad, so often, at developing and keeping strong relationships? Robert Waldinger is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a director of the Harvard Study on Adult Development. Professor Waldinger, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Thanks for having me. Uh, And thanks for having my co-author, Mark Schultz. We're delighted to be here.
1: Yes, uh, Dr. Mark Schultz is a clinical psychologist and an associate director of the same study. Dr. Schultz, welcome to Detroit Today as well.
4: Thank you, Stephen. Pleasure to be with you.
1: So, Professor Waldinger, uh, talk to us about how this study came together, how it was decided to study, what makes people flourish through a bunch of people's lives, and why were particular groups of people included in this study?
3: The study started in 1938 and it was radical because it was a study of thriving. So much of our research is about what goes wrong in human life so that we can help people. But this was a study of what makes people do well in life. And it started as two studies that actually didn't know about each other One was a study of Harvard College undergraduates, 19-year-olds, chosen by their deans as fine upstanding young men, and it was meant to be a study of normal development from adolescence to young adulthood. And the other study started at Harvard Law School by Sheldon Gluck and Eleanor Gluck, and it was a study of how some children born into poor families and troubled families, how those kids managed to stay on good developmental paths, even though they were born with many strikes against them?
1: Um, I want to talk about a little bit of the takeaways, I guess, from these this study and and what we're learning. it's really it's really in one way, kind of predictable, I guess, that that we spend too much of our time on things that don't actually make us happy, but, but why is it important to, to kind of understand why and how that's true? Dr. Schultz, what are the big takeaways from this study?
4: Yeah, so this is a study that over its 85 years has hundreds of findings. And when we step back and really tried to look at the, the signal across all of those studies, the common, common connection across all those, it was about connections. It was a simple message that relationships keep us happier and healthier throughout the lifespan. It's all kinds of relationships, and we can talk more about that, but we're talking about relatives, friends, partners, neighbors, uh, the people who serve you coffee in the morning. All kinds of relationships are important for our health and happiness. And the problem, as your intro suggested, which was really lovely to listen to, is that we get distracted from this basic idea. A lot of us know that relationships are important to us, There are lots of wisdom from ancient traditions that suggest it's important to lean into connections to others, but there are also a lot of modern messages that distract us with other ideas about what's important, fame and success and and an orientation towards work, as you suggested in your your intro.
1: And and Dr. Schultz, talk about over time, I mean, an 80-year study, that's a really long time. A lot Mm -hmm. has changed in our lives and in our culture uh, over that time. What has changed about happiness over that time, or has it remained kind of consistent even as other things kind of uh, come and go or, or interfere in, in our lives? Uh, what do we know about the effect of time and change uh, on this phenomenon?
4: Yeah, that's a really important question, and I think there are some things that have changed, obviously, and some things that haven't. I think that the thing that's similar across time is that the basic connections that we have with others are the source of our greatest happiness, the source of our greatest fulfillment and meaning in life. So they're really critical to helping us flourish. The manner in which we engage in those relationships has probably changed across time. The original participants were all male. Over time, we included their partners in the study, and we're now studying the more than 1,300 children of their study. And in our book, The Good Life, we also include hundreds of other studies from across the world. So we can ask the same question about whether relationships are as important across cultures and different countries. And what we find is the short answer is yes, they're critical for people's well-being across time, across countries, but the ways we engage in relationships change across time and across countries. So these men in their early teens and 20s were taught to not talk about their feelings, to be as independent as they could be, and the cultural messages today have shifted. So I think people are engaging in relationships in slightly different ways than these folks were almost 100 years ago. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: We're talking about happiness, human happiness, and how we achieve. That Happiness with Robert Waldinger and Dr. Mark Schultz. They are co-authors of a book titled The Good Life. uh, uh listens from the world's longest scientific study of happiness. We want to hear from you, our listeners, during this conversation, especially call and tell us what does make you happiest in life. Is it a moment? Is it a feeling? Is it a connection with Someone you know or someone uh, you're related to. uh, How much time do you spend on those things, on the things that truly bring you joy in the world? Uh, During your most fulfilling moments in life, what are you doing and how often do you get to do it? What do you think makes a good life and what kind of role do you think your friendships and other relationships play in making that life uh, also give us a call and let us know if you're somebody who derives real joy from other things uh, and don't think that this kind of human connection is as important as other things. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Uh, Dr. Waldinger, uh, or, or Professor Waldinger, your, your study found this all to be true across a wide range of identities, including age and race and income, education, and sexual orientation. Uh, uh, talk about that, that range and why this is so common.
3: Well, our study, as every study, has its limits. Um, and our study is of a certain generation, two generations actually, and men and women but primarily Caucasian, and so we took pains to make sure that the findings that we present about the power of relationships really are there across all demographics, all cultures, um, to make sure that we were presenting findings that were true around the world and for all types of people. Um, And because that's important, one of the things, I think your listeners know is that no single study has the truth. Uh, But what we find is that if multiple studies point in the same direction, that gives us confidence that what we're saying is a real finding about human life. And in this case, the power of relationships is there in study after study across all types of demographics.
1: Um, I, I, I want to dive a little deeper into this idea of relationships, their importance, how we build them, and how we keep them. And in a, a chapter in the book called "Social Fitness," uh, you, you really do address this idea of how to keep relationships strong and how to to nurture them and get the most get the most out of them. Uh, and one of my favorite parts of this chapter. Uh, is uh, subtitled Our Man in Montana. I wonder if if one of you can talk about uh, that story and this idea of social fitness. Um, okay, uh, sure. Uh, who's the better, uh, better speaker for that?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we can
1: help each, well, each other. So yeah, yeah, make, Mark, you'll remember you too. So
3: Our Man in Montana was a man who essentially started out a very privileged background and then kind of found himself gradually throughout his life after having a family, wife and children, uh, moving into a very isolated existence um, where he told himself that relationships were very important, but he lived way out far away from everyone uh, by choice, lived in a trailer, told himself he was gonna connect with his children, with family members, but kind of never made it happen. And eventually made a connection with an older person who was in the trailer park, but really was quite an isolated person. And what we found was that he kind of drifted away from relationships for various psychological reasons. And it left him quite alone and without many resources in his life. And here was a man who started out with so many advantages. And so it was a bit of a surprise and a bit of a cautionary tale about letting ourselves drift away from staying connected with others.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dr. Schultz?
3: No, I think Bob captured that story, and
4: and one of the things that's really important is for listeners to recognize that being alone is not so uncommon these days, that when we look at surveys in the United States and other Western countries, there are reports of loneliness on a daily basis on the order of 20 to 50 percent of individuals report feeling lonely. So this experience that Sterling Ainsley had, our man in Montana, um, is not uncommon in modern society, and we know that the effects of loneliness are quite dramatic on our physical health. So the, the risk for physical health problems that we associate with loneliness is similar to the risk of smoking a pack of cigarettes wow. or to obesity. So this is a very significant public health problem. There are lots of people, unfortunately, like our man in Montana. Yeah.
1: Okay. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about happiness and fulfillment with uh, Dr. Mark Schultz and Professor Robert Waldinger. Uh, We'll also get going with you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. We're also going to talk about isolation and why we find ourselves so isolated uh, in our modern lives. Remember, on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number to participate in the conversation. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. right today. I'm 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. And I'm really glad you've decided to join us. What makes you happy? What makes you happiest in your life? Is it things? Is it uh, success? Is it pursuing success in places like work and attention, or is it about the relationships that you have in your life, relationships with uh, your friends and your family, people in your community? We're talking this hour with Dr. Mark Schultz and Professor Robert Waldinger. They are co-authors of a book titled The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness, uh, about what, what brings us joy, what brings us fulfillment. Uh, We want to hear from you as well, the listeners during this conversation. Call and tell us what does make you happy. How much time do you spend on the things that make you happy? And how might you spend more time? Uh, How could you peel away from some of the things that uh, many of us find ourselves consumed with day after day and actually do the things that bring us joy. Interesting subject I think for today which is St. Patrick's Day when lots of people I know are peeling away from work or school <laughs> to enjoy themselves here in Metro Detroit and all around uh, the country. Uh, but, but call and tell us, uh, what, what, what does that for you? What is the thing that uh, that brings you that kind of joy? Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. That's 313 1019 You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work into the conversation. Let's go first to Mary in Rochester. Mary, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I am 68 years old, and I didn't figure out until later in life that happiness, for me at least, equals peace of mind. When I was younger, happiness was always something that was in front of me. It was just out of reach. I'm um, chasing after happiness. Like I'll be happy when I graduate from college. I'll be happy when I graduate uh, from high school. I'll be happy when I'm married. I'll be happier when I'm divorced. I'll be happy when I'm retired. (laughs) Well, retirement is not an option. I'm okay with that. I'm still working part-time. But what gives me happiness these days is downsizing my life, decluttering, Mm. moving into a smaller place. Peace of mind is where it's at for me. And my joy right now is writing. I am loving writing.
1: Wow. Wow, Mary, that's such a wonderful, that's such a wonderful life, and and such a wonderful description of the way that your life has changed. Uh, and it and it's a different take, I think, on on um, what what makes us happy. Uh, uh, Doctor Schultz, uh, talk about what Mary is uh, addressing here in terms of peace of mind and decluttering and and prioritizing those things that do make uh, us happy and mean the most to us.
4: Yeah, so thank you, Mary, for sharing your story. What, What I really like about that is this idea that we need to focus on what's most important to us and that as we get older, some of us get a little wiser in figuring out that we can eliminate certain aspects of, you know, of our things that we devote our time to and really focus on what we think is most important in life. So for Mary, it sounds like writing brings you great joy Um, And we can also simplify our life in ways that create fewer hassles for us and fewer challenges. Um, But I also want to highlight the other part of what Mary said, which is this idea which I think is especially common among young people, that somehow happiness is a thing in the future, that I'll be satisfied with Mm -hmm. life when I get that promotion or when I have the kids that I'm supposed to have, that what people do with that kind of thinking forward idea that happiness is somewhere off in the distance is that we live long periods of time, decades, uh, without achieving that kind of satisfaction, or without engaging in what really is the core of life, which is our engagement in the things that are most important to us and our engagement with other people as well. So time moves quickly if we put off our, our hopes for our own well-being into the future.
1: Yeah. Professor Waldinger?
3: Yeah, I, I echo what Mark said. And, and Mary, I think what you've noticed is that when you stop thinking about happiness in the future and pay attention to what's right here, right now, that life seems more vivid. Um, I'm a meditator along with being a researcher. And when I sit on the meditation cushion, it helps me realize that paying attention to what's here right now makes me feel more alive. And I think that's what you're pointing to, that if we're always thinking about the future, we're kind of missing life as it's unfolding right now. And here you are cleaning and getting some satisfaction from it and writing and getting some moment-to-moment satisfaction from it. And I think that all of us have that capacity to just stop and pay attention to what's here right now. And it gives life a kind of vividness that the future orientation takes away.
1: So I I wonder if the... the the idea of not needing stuff or waiting until uh, you know later for 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 happiness is um, is different depending on how much stuff you have right um, is it something that um, is anticipatory or or I guess regretful I guess is, is what I'm getting at that that Sometimes maybe you don't know uh, what you're unhappy about uh, pursuing things until you haven't gotten them. But if you do have them, uh, it's easier to say, I don't need this stuff. Uh, Dr. Schultz?
4: Well, I have two two thoughts about this. One is that I, I think maybe, Stephen, you're alluding to an idea that, you know, it, it is important to have a certain amount of material um, access or privilege that that having income to eat to live in a safe place uh, to shelter your children and your family in a way that feels uh, comfortable and safe to have access to health care these are all important things that are critical for modern living. And, and that way, there is a connection between happiness and income. Uh, the most dramatic relationship we see at low uh, points in the income scale, so below a middle class income, there is a relationship between happiness and, and income. After that, it gets a little more complicated. Um, but I also think the other piece of what I, I, I think I'm hearing from you, Stephen, is an idea that um, we tend to compare ourselves to both others and maybe to ourselves at different points in our lives so that today we're kind of bombarded by messages that are so intense partly because we carry around smartphones most of us in our pockets that we see lots of messages about how other people are living and what they have and we often compare those situations to our own and of course the situations online that we see in social media are highly curated and selective so people have things that they're showing off, they're showing off very you know, exciting moments in their lives. And if we're not having those moments all of the time, if we don't have all of those shiny things that people have online, we feel less than those other people. So I think this comparison can get pernicious. And because of media access that we have today, it's not just the person down the street that you're comparing yourself to and how big their house is. It's people all over the world that are on the Internet and on social media. So it's become more difficult because
1: of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Before we go back to our callers and social media commenters, I want to talk a little more about loneliness, uh, which comes up in the study in the sense that it's getting worse and not better. Um, I I can think of a number of things that I, I think are making Americans feel more lonely. But uh, Professor Waldinger, I I, want to have you first address just this part of the book and and this dynamic uh, and the way it's changing. Well, we know
3: now that loneliness is epidemic. Um, That when you ask people, between one in three and one in four people will say that they are lonely much of the time. And loneliness is a, a subjective experience. It's that feeling of being less connected to other people than you want to be. So you can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely in a marriage. Uh, you can be perfectly content on a mountaintop. Hmm. Uh, loneliness is in the eye of the beholder. And, and of course, there are many causes for loneliness. Some of them are quite personal if I'm a shy person and I'm kind of afraid of engaging with people, many of them are systemic, um, where we find that our our societies are now set up to keep us more isolated, to be working more on our own, to be living more on our own, uh, to be less engaged in community activities. So there are many, many different things contributing to loneliness. The What we're finding is that the path of least resistance in our lives right now is greater disconnection, greater time alone, greater time on our screens. And so our hope in writing the book and in talking about this is that we call attention to the idea that we need to be more intentional in actively structuring our lives to connect with each other more so that we don't get more and more isolated by all of these forces uh,
1: what about the screen you mentioned uh, you mentioned that uh, you know we've talked on this show several times about the effect that uh, these phones and devices that we have that supposedly connect us to more of the world actually have on on our on our lives it seems to me that loneliness is uh, one of the things that that ironically, maybe, gets worse because of the screen and not just because of its constant demand for our attention, but also because of the type of interaction it encourages, which is not actually all that connective, uh, Professor Waldinger. Well, yes, and
3: you're pointing to something that research is beginning to show us, that whether we feel better or worse whether our well-being goes up or down with engagement in the digital world depends a lot on what we do online so the research is beginning to show that if we actively engage with other people on social media if we connect with others that actually makes us feel better it raises our well-being i'll give you an example a friend of mine during the covid lockdown reconnected with his elementary school friends, and they're all over the country now, but they reconnected, and now every Sunday morning on Zoom, they have coffee, and they are thrilled with this, and they're, you know, reminiscing about things that happened in the third grade, Um, a way that active connection through social media can raise our well-being. But on the other hand, what the research is finding is that if we passively consume other people's instagram feeds you know mark was talking about those curated lives that we show each other if we watch other people's lives their beautiful beaches and their beautiful meals parade before us we compare ourselves negatively and what's what we find is that our self-esteem gets lower depression rates go up anxiety rates go up so it's active versus passive use of the digital world that seems to make a difference in whether we're happier or less happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go next to Jeffrey in Detroit. Jeffrey, welcome to the show.
2: No, thank you. It's great. This uh, this conversation, I just listened to it on, on my way to work, and um, it's kind of serendipitous because I just started we have a, what's called an employee assistance program at work It's for people if you're feeling burned out if you're feeling you know lonely and I was kind of feeling burned out in healthcare and went just went through that that whole last three years and um when you mentioned how um what were the best times in your life mm-hmm. and it was growing up when I had childhood friends and then through my young adult life uh, college friends and uh in the last five years, I've, I've been going away from that. And uh, I, I got to this point where I, I thought, I need a little help here to get back you know, on board with myself. And so I just <laughs> I can tell the two doctors, I, I just purchased the book like, <laughs> as I got in the parking lot. <laughs> and so uh, I, this, this comes at a great time. Just want to
1: let you guys know that. <laughs> so, so Jeffrey, I'm curious about uh, over the last three years, uh, you know, people working in in healthcare and um, trying to maintain not just happiness, but but you know, just sanity. Obviously, um, yeah. I, I wonder if you can talk a little about what your experience, what your experience was, and the things that did make you make you happy during that that really difficult time
2: so the things that that did were uh kind con- being in contact like uh with my my family especially as a, i have a younger sister that i'm very close with and uh there was a point where uh just feeling burned out after work i was just kind of i was becoming the man in montana let's put it that way <laughs> and um so uh the best times were when i was able to um couldn't travel there so it's just when when we engage and start talking about growing up and mom and dad, and that kept me um that kept me at a at a good place um but the other thing about i think what was going on was that so we deal with people all day and and we're dealing with coworkers you're dealing with patients, and so there's part of my brain that was saying. You know, when I get home, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to chill out, <laughs> just uh, um be on my own, but I don't think that's a good uh that's not a good strategy. So, um yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh Jeffrey, I really appreciate the call uh and you sharing those experiences uh, uh Dr. Schultz, we hear, I think in in, in Jeffrey's call a lot of kind of echoes of the things that that people are kind of struggling with to define in uh, in this study and and how defining how to keep um, to keep the things that do make us happy close to us and and intact in our lives
2: yeah
4: yeah so just wonderful Jeffrey that you you step back and you thought about you know again what's most important and those things that you miss and they're trying intentionally to to do something about it. That's just a terrific thing, and, and we certainly wish you the best in that effort. Um, I do want to say that you know, happiness is not the only thing that's important to pursue in life. Happiness as a feeling is something that's fleeting. We experience it, and then it goes away. Um, and one of the things that relationships do for us that's so important that, that helps us flourish is that it helps us deal with stress. So having a younger sister that you can talk to when you're feeling burnt out or disconnected um, really important that people that we trust and we depend on help us navigate those times in our life when we're feeling challenged and we can't figure out a path forward. They do that by listening to us, by helping us kind of regulate our feelings, by figuring out new strategies for moving forward. So people and relationships or connections are so essential to our thriving, not just because they're connected to happiness, but because they give us so many other things. I also want to say one other thing, because I just love the way Jeffrey presented it, that you know, just like the way that we often talk about social media grabbing our attention and getting in the way of our relationships, um, both Jeffrey and Mary are talking about moments in their life when they're so stressed by life itself, either work or all the things that they're supposed to be doing, that they don't have room in their life for connecting with other people. So we need to manage our lives in ways that are healthy for us, to take care of ourselves, certainly healthcare workers that are feeling so burnt out that they're not feeling that sense of meaning and connection. Their work is so much about connection. They need to step back and to take care of themselves so that they can re-experience what led them to go into this kind of profession to begin with, which is partly helping and connecting with others. So we need to take care of ourselves, including the amount of stress that we're experiencing really critical.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about happiness and fulfillment with Dr. Mark Schultz and Professor Robert Waldinger, we will also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Dave in Dearborn, Kathy in Madison Heights, Maryland in Oak Park, you're up next. If you want to join them, 313 577 1019 is the number here. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
5: Bringing you news that matters. Stories
0: that impact your life.
5: Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's
6: NPR station.
1: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking with Dr. Mark Schultz and Professor Robert Waldinger. They are co-authors of a book titled The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness. And we are talking about happiness, what makes us truly happy, and how much time we spend on those things versus other things that we think maybe will make us happy, but uh, that are revealed in this study not to truly Uh, make us feel fulfilled Uh, of course we want to have you as part of the conversation as well 313-577-1019 is the number here it's 313-577-1019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag detroit today and we can include you in the conversation uh, that way let's go next to dave in dearborn dave welcome to the show
6: hi good morning everyone and thank you for having the show today this is a really great topic and it's a really close one to me um so I am uh, I have a great group of friends. We've known each other since college and, and another group of guys that we'd meet through workplaces and stuff, and we're already pretty, uh, you know, uh, I love you, man, tiny feely, hug it out group of guys <laughs> to the point where our wives make fun of us, but we do, you know, we're middle-aged, we've got kids, we're all kind of in that halfway point, and we've been... For sure uh, trying to make it a regular occurrence that we get together and see each other because it's always worth it. But a couple years ago, one of our ring leaders of the group uh, noticed a study that came out that showed that um, men who nurture their friendships and relationships live longer because uh, women tend to live longer, but they naturally nurture and cultivate their relationships. So mm. we used it as kind of a fun excuse to say, hey, we're going to get together at least once a month, no matter what, whoever makes it, makes it. But we're gonna do this and we've been doing it and it's always worth it and it, it especially came in to play recently with when one of our buddies um, um, tragically lost his spouse to a sudden illness mm. and just just having that regular it's kind of like a poker night without the cards and we would just get together somewhere we pick a place but it, it actually allowed him to have a night off from a lot of the grieving he was doing and all uh. the things that come with the fallout of such a tragedy, and um, it, it was—it it just proved right there how worth it it is that you've got to put in the time and make the time to have the good time with your friends, because yeah. even if it's not the most vivacious, huge conversation with lots of news and, you know, stuff like that, just the fellowship is mm-hmm. just... It's what worth it. And, it's, and I'm, I'm totally on board with what the, the two authors have put out, and I want to find that book. So
1: thank you. <laughs> you can find it on Amazon. <laughs> uh, Dave, I really do appreciate the, the call, and I think that's such a wonderful story and such a wonderful example of, uh, of what we're talking about. Uh, Professor Waldinger, you, you do spend a lot of time in the book talking about what people in the study did who had really strong connections, how they lived their lives, the kind of things that they prioritized. And Dave's story here, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful look into one person's uh, experience doing a lot of doing a lot of those things.
3: Yeah, Dave, this is a great example, I mean, because what you're pointing to is the regular contact that you guys have built in for your group what we find is that if people actively make sure they do they get together regularly that it kind of creates a scaffolding a support network that that happens naturally so you guys have this automatic connection regular get-togethers And um, so you don't have to kind of decide, oh gee, we ought to get together. It's, It's something you've set up. And what we know is that when we have regular contact, like Mark and I have a phone call every Friday at noon. It's really important. We've done this for 25 plus years. <laughs> and what we find is that we stay current with each other's lives. It's not just that we do our research and our writing together. And what you're finding with your group, Dave, is that this these regular uh, get-togethers keep you guys current on each other's lives so that then when your friend has a tragedy, you guys can support him. One of the things we found in our study when we asked people, how did you get through big life crises like the depression, like World War II, because we studied people way back then, everybody to a person said something about their relationships. Mm. It was my family, my friends, my fellow soldiers in World War II. And and so what, what we're finding is that relationships don't just make us happier. They support us through the hard times that inevitably happen in every life. And so what you're noticing, Dave, is like crucial to how the, the happiest and the most connected people in our study maintained good social networks. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, again, Dave, really appreciate, the, uh, really appreciate the call and the, the, the great story. Let's go to Marilyn in Oak Park. Marilyn, what's on your mind?
2: Hello, Stephen, and and your your guests today. Um, lately, what makes me happy is hearing the toilet flush completely and uh, <laughs> without that o- awful gurgling noise. For now, I'm I'm satisfied with that.
1: <laughs> well, that is a very that is a very simple joy, Marilyn, and one that I think many of us also enjoy. Uh, I I wonder though, is that. Is that the beginning and the end of, uh, of happiness for you, Marilyn? Is that enough?
0: Well, oh, no, 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 but it certainly
2: does perk me up for the day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love I, it. I, I'm with you 100% on that, Marilyn. I'm glad you called in. Um, a, a question before we get back to phones and, and uh, uh, social uh, What if you're not good at building? Relationships. What if you're not good at finding friends? I'm somebody who's actually really fortunate. I live in the city where I was born and grew up. Uh, I'm nearby to the place where I went to college. And so, you know, I feel like my whole life is around every corner uh, here in Southeast Michigan. And, and I do have lots of people who I have really long relationships with. But but there are lots of other people, I think, uh, who don't have those advantages. And 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 st- struggle somewhat. Uh, Do you guys have tips for people who don't find that very easy? I'll I'll start with you, Dr. Schultz.
4: I think the first thing to recognize is that you're not alone, that a lot of people struggle in relationships. That one-third to, you know, one-quarter of the population that's feeling uh, lonely, those are folks that are not feeling like they have the kinds of connections in their lives that are important. They're not feeling like they have people in their lives that know them or have their back. So recognizing that it's normal and some people don't have the advantages that you have, even they may have moved far from where they grew up. So we need to kind of do this with intention and effort. And one of the strategies that people can use if they're wanting to make more connections is to think about an activity that they want to do or might be good for their health. So it could be a recreational activity like pickleball or tennis. Um, or it could be a volunteer activity in a community, that when we do things with other people, when we tend to regularly engage with them in activities, that's when we often make new connections. And over time, we can build friendships. So people might think about an activity that gets them out of their house, engage with others, and something that they enjoy, and that is important to them. Yeah. That might
3: be a good first step.
1: Yeah. Uh, Professor Waldinger? Yes. The other thing
3: that people can do is find ways to be of service to other people who need your help. Because when we do that, we often get connected to other people through that activity. So it could be volunteering at a food bank. It could be um, reading to young children, tutoring children. It could be uh, teaching English as a second language. It could be Helping a community cleanup, because often when we're doing that, first of all, we feel better because we're helping the community and we're helping people who want our help. We're feeling useful, but also it brings us then into contact with new people and we're more likely to strike up conversations that could eventually get deeper and develop into friendships. Yeah, yeah. I would, I
4: would add one other thing, Stephen, which is that for for folks that work a lot, you know, we've talked about work as being the enemy in some ways of of our sense of fulfillment and happiness. And work can be an important uh, area where we experience meaning and purpose, but it can also be an area where we experience connections with others. And we need to think about because most of us spend so much time at work. We need to think about the ways in which work facilitates our sense of connection to others. So in in workplaces where people are trying to figure out how much we do in person alongside each other versus remotely or hybrid work people may start thinking about some of the advantages of being in an office together some of that downtime or those meetings that occur only around the cooler that don't occur when you have a highly structured agenda on zoom that we need to think also about work as an important source of connection with others and that's easier for some people of course than others but if you're in a work setting where connection is possible, where you work with clients or you have, you know, folks that uh, you work regularly with on projects, those are opportunities for connections that I think are are, are important and shouldn't be
1: overlooked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Kathy in Madison Heights. Kathy, welcome to the show.
5: Hi, thank you. Um, first, I'd like to say that I agree with Marilyn if my uh if the plumbing works and the appliances (laughs) start then i'm happy but um after that um after my husband died a little over eight years ago and Mm. i had to start focusing on um you know recreating my life and um i became more aware of being thankful Mm. so um every day i'm thankful that i have food water and shelter and i see anything else as a bonus and um you know going for a walk or you know whatever and um i recently retired and you know as much as i do miss the interactions the daily interactions with coworkers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't miss the um you know little petty things but um I've been recreating my life again and uh Wayne State offers a 75% discount on tuition for senior citizens so I'm finishing my bachelor's degree and um I volunteer and I have a few close friends that I get together with and I you know I'm I feel like I'm happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh Kathy that that's that's wonderful and and I think the idea of trying to find that happiness after loss is is one of the more one of the more difficult things. Something that really uh, creates an absence in your life, and of course sends your life in a different direction. Sometimes leaves us uh, harried and, and scrambling. I guess for that, uh, Professor Waldinger, I wonder what your reaction is to Kathy's story.
3: Yeah, well, Kathy, you've pointed out some really important aspects of this. First of all, you noticed there were some hassles in your relationships at work and and one of the things we do want to just point out is that relationships can be messy and complicated and they're not always smooth. And so that is part of the truth that makes sometimes makes us a little reluctant to engage with people and So you're naming something that is just a fact of being involved with people that, that they, that the relationships aren't always happy. But the question is, can we find relationships that are basically nourishing, supportive, and there may be ways to look for that. And it sounds like you're looking for that now in your retirement. And the other thing you're pointing out is the value of being grateful that most of the time we take for granted you know we take for granted that the toilet flushes right <laughs> you know as as marilyn said we we take for granted that we have a roof over our heads but to actively call to mind those things that are not wrong that are right today can remind us of the ways that life is good and so we know actually from from very good research that if we actively remember what we are grateful for what's going well in our lives, that we get happier, stay happier, and move through the world with a brighter outlook.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Dr. Schultz, we only have about a minute left, but, uh, but go ahead.
3: Well, I, I love that the last two call-
4: callers have talked about the toilet flushing, and part of what's <laughs> great about that is that we share a joke, right? We laugh together, that, mm-hmm. that it reminds us about You know, part of what we value about connections, having a shared moment where we experience that joy, there's nothing better than that. So I I thank both Kathy and Marilyn for giving us that moment of levity. It's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Professor Robert Waldinger and Dr. Mark Schultz, uh, congratulations on the book, The Good Life. Uh, uh, Tell us, 80 years behind, uh, I guess, is this study going to continue another 80 years, and what do you expect to learn? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ah,
3: well, we are collecting data even as we speak. Um, we've been studying the children, uh, baby boomers by and large, and we are collecting data right now. What the study, what the future holds, whether there will be 80 more years, that's anybody's guess. But for for now, the study continues.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks to both of you uh, for being here with us for this really wonderful conversation on Detroit today.
3: Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Thanks a lot.
1: That is going to do it for us this week. Come back on Monday when we have more great programming for you here on Detroit Today. Also, remember, if you like this show and enjoy listening to our program, if this show makes you happy and brings you joy, uh, you should be sharing it with uh, the people you know, with your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, people in your community. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again on Monday.